Welcome to Cooper Talk. I'm your host, Steve Cooper. And remember, I'm only as hip as my guests. And I have to tell you people, I have an audition today. Now, I don't, I don't get on audition a lot, but I have an audition as a... And here's what the, the, the breakdown said. It said a bald Jewish accountant. So I went on Facebook, and as you know, I grew up in Cherry Hill, New Jersey. I'm not Jewish. Everyone thinks I am, but I think that's why they got they called me in to do it. But I put up a note to see um, what anyone had some tips, because I know some Jewish accountants back in my hometown. And it was pretty it was pretty bad, because I was going to dress nice, but they said I had to be real insecure and nebbishy, and I'm like, but the, the role doesn't sound that. So it's going to be interesting. You know, it's at least it's better when I got cast a few weeks in that video as a creepy guy. So I'll take, I'll take a bald Jewish accountant over a creepy guy anytime. Anyway, we have a great show, and uh, this guy will never get cast as a creepy guy, because he's the all-American, like, he's like, he's like, him and Mark Valley are like the same guys, the good-looking, handsome guys, both ex-military, he's been on the show before, Jamie Keller, how you doing, Jamie? I'm good, I wish I was in Mark Valley's category, please, that's the best thing anyone's ever said to me. But you got the same vibe, you're both tall, We have the same guys. vibe, unfortunately, we don't have the same symmetrical beauty that Mark <laughs> Valley has, that, he used to come in when I worked at O'Brien's, nicest guy on earth. An amazing actor and beautifully good looking. Oh yeah, it's just it's amazing. I put a picture of me and him. Yeah, and I like him because I wore my Stockton shirt when I went sure. to college, and the girls like, "Oh my God, he's so handsome." Nobody saw you in that picture. I it's know, like you exactly. weren't in it. Why were you even bothering to be in it? But it's got to be great that he's such a good looking guy, and he's just so nice. He is a nice, nice guy. Yeah, and uh, he. he you know, you, we come from different places in the country, all of us, and then we, you know, whatever way we think, we're like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm okay, I'm pretty good looking, I can hang, I'm, I'm like the lumberjack rustic right. <laughs> guy, you know, like, I'm okay in a pub, I'm not getting anything done on the beach, but I'm a redheaded, you know, if girls are freakish and they like the redhead thing, then, uh... But you're not really red, you know, I wouldn't... Well, it's getting gray now, but, but I not, was pretty red. You're not like Darren Carter or Jimmy Schubert no. red, you're not that, like, they're red. Well, Schubert and I are actually, people always think Schubert and I are brothers. Really? Like, we've done shows together and people think we're related. Yeah, I love Schubert. And he and I are actually kind of similar in our reddish vein of, uh, you know, we're not beach people. We're not picking up babes at the beach. <laughs> I could be Mr. Olympia, and people would still go, dude, put your shirt back on. You're really starting to freak people out. But then you get here, and you work in a bar, and you go, yeah, I'm the bartender. I'm pretty good looking. I got a good shot at most women in this bar. And then Mark Valley sits at your bar, and you're like, Oh yeah, I'm. I just fell to second on the death chart at See, this in this immediate three foot radius. That's funny because a, a buddy of mine from high school came out here to go to his masters at UCLA, yeah. and he basically said, anywhere you go in the country, there's beautiful women. But he says you come to LA and oh, all yeah. the guys are great looking. He goes, it's not. It's like you. The men are beautiful. Yeah, he's like he's like it yeah. goes. It's crazy. It's like you sit there and you, same thing as you said. But there's good looking girls everywhere. But there's just a, a ton of good looking guys yeah. out here. Well, the best looking person from every high school in the country came to LA. Exactly. They're here trying to make it. Now I'm gonna ask you a question. You're a big baseball fan. Yeah, I'm a big Red Sox fan. I'm from okay. New Hampshire, Massachusetts. Now I gotta ask you what you know the big the big hoopla for Jeter going away. And sure. I'm I'm a Phillies fan, and I do like the Yankees, and I think Jeter's a great player. Love Je- hate yeah, we even think? as a Boston guy, we love Jeter. And even in the ad last night before his uh, departure, they showed the Red Sox guys. John Lester tips his cap. Like we, you know, we hate a Rod. Everyone hates A-Rod. Yeah, we hated Mickey Rivers. I hated Nettles. You I hated, hated Mickey Rivers? Yeah, I hated Mickey Rivers really badly. Bucky, he must have hated Bucky Dent. Hated Bucky Dent. Hate Aaron Boone. Still, to this day, I have trouble watching him as a commentator. But we always respected Jeter because Jeter played the game right, and we always... I think there's, you know, good fans always know and go, yeah, that's a class act. Had he been a Red Sox, he would have been 
we would have loved him, and we, we like him. That's always funny, because that's like, I grew up a big Flyers fan, and there used to be a guy who played for the Rangers named Nick Fatiu. Sure. And he was a big goon, everybody hated Flyers fans hated him. But then he got traded to the Flyers, and yeah. he was like the god of Philadelphia. Like, everyone was like, Nick, it's just crazy how fans do that. Well, Shaquille O'Neal, I don't know if people remember this, he played for the Celtics. Right. For a year or two, and I was really conflicted. I was like, "Do I? I'm not sure. Do I like this guy or do I not like this?" That's the problem. It used to be when you grew up. Like Carl Yastrzemski played for the Red Sox his entire career. Jeter's whole career. Ripken. For me, Mike Schmidt. I mean, yeah, there was exactly. these, these amazing Greg Rosinski, Like there were guys where you love them, and now people just jump ship. It doesn't matter. There's there's no half of them don't even speak English. It's it's a pure mercenary gun for hire process so i definitely have lost a little bit of uh my my love i don't punch walls anymore when my team loses i have a question for you because i have two friends who are uh, big red Sox fans and the ones like as i say the a typical boston myopic fan like there are some <laughs> boss like i'll kill you i will kill you and you're like that's pass interference it's like no the guy wasn't even near. oh no I'm yeah. totally I have such good sportsmanship that I'm like no no that's that should be their ball I wish guys and why don't guys in pro sports they're rewarded for cheating and lying I feel like when we catch them they should be fined for bad sportsmanship right but they don't do that but I got a question about Roger Clemens now they are like oh he he left but don't Boston didn't Boston trade him to Toronto first so don't you think he was sort of spiting them going to New absolutely York absolutely he did absolutely yeah he we saw the end coming. Uh, we had, you know, and the, he was a huge money guy. He wanted money. He was never a great clubhouse guy. He's not a ha- he's not a happy guy. He's a mean spirited person. Just, well, he just looks like a miserable individual. But that's most pitchers. Bob Gibson. A lot of like big strikeout pitchers are horribly mean. Randy Johnson. They're that's their persona, and they want to maintain that. And so Clemens, we loved him. I remember watching him, you know, throw twenty-one strikeouts, and we loved Roger Clemens. We were so glad to have him. And w- I was bummed when he got traded to. Toronto, but that was part of the business. He took the bigger paycheck and went to Toronto, and then he he juiced. He totally juiced. The fact that he's <laughs> do you think he was juicing when not he was Red Sox? Uh, I think it started when he went to Toronto because you see his numbers drop off, drop off, drop off, drop off, and then all of a sudden, hey, well, this guy is throwing faster than he did five years right. ago. Not a chance. I mean, he was ju- he had to be jacked up. The time when the bat broke and he picked up the piece of broken oh, bat and threw it at Kirk Gibson. <laughs> no, it was Piazza. At Piazza. It was, I mean, it was, it was the All-Star Piazza, game. Yeah, Piazza. It was the All-Star game, and he. everyone was like, <laughs> he was so juiced up on something. And then he goes, he goes, I thought it was the ball. No, you did. Yeah, you you yeah, picked yeah, up a piece yeah. of the bat, and you <laughs> threw it. Even Piazza was terrified. Like, Piazza was thinking about re- charging the mound, but then he. I think he saw that look in Clemens' eyes and was like, that guy's he's crazy. I'm right. running after him. <laughs> now, you, you have a daughter. I have a daughter. Now, I, I see you, you've put some gear on her on Facebook. I see some of the... Now, are you yeah, going to post some pics? Are you going to breed her as a Boston fan, or are you going to give her the right I would choose? never, ever do that to a child. Okay. I don't think it's right. And I always, you know, before the Red Sox won in the early 2000s, I suffered and suffered and suffered and suffered, basically because I was born in that part of the country, and I was a hometown guy, and I stuck by it. I would never do that. She's more than welcome to cheer for the Red Sox. She can choose whoever she wants. What if it was the Yankees? Oh, no. my wife is a Yankees fan. Oh, really? And I remember when we moved into the house, I took her Yankees hat and I threw it out the window into the front lawn. And uh, I mean, listen, I, I don't love the Yankees, but I went to Yankee Stadium and saw the All-Star game, and I've seen some games at Yankee Stadium. I, you know, I think as you get older, and I, I'm telling you, sports have changed. It used to be... It used to be same guys. That was it, man. You got drafted by that team. You were part of our community. Ortiz now, although he didn't even start there. He started in Minneapolis whatever. And it, then... Yeah, but once you become part of that franchise, it's sad to see somebody kind of 
spend their last year or two somewhere else and fade away. It's just about money. It's, yeah, it's, it's such a business. It sucks because I remember uh, my girlfriend's an Eagles fan like me, yeah. and I could not find. There was she wanted a pink jersey, and I wasn't going to get her Vic because sure. I don't like Vic. And I didn't want to get an Osmogal or whatever. No. She's awful. She wanted Deshaun Jackson. So um, <laughs> um, this great. was like two or three years. I'm, <laughs> we first two years ago when we were dating. It was like our first our first Christmas or whatever. Sure. And I'm I mean I'm hitting every site like these Chinese websites that say you know the jersey for this and like you know Jackson spelled wrong or whatever and it's like I finally found one through all that it was a company they sent it to me and then what do you know yeah she moves out here you know she would she would visit you know we'd go see Eagles games this year's the first year she'd be out to watch a game yeah. and her pink jersey is obsolete because they traded him and it just pisses you off yeah and he was a he was a franchise player I still when I go to Red Sox games I have a Fisk jersey see, that that's I wear cool. and it's the button gray one and I have a Yastrzemski shirt that I wear. I don't really ever... I can't remember ever wearing a current player's name on my jersey. I want to get a Denny Doyle. That's why. Yeah. <laughs> that's. <laughs> I would love a Denny Doyle. That'd be great. Yes. Or Louis uh, Rick Burleson. Well, actually, my Dwight buddy, Evans. My, I, would, I would get one of those. Dwight Evans is great. My buddy had a Greenwell one. I remember this was years ago. Mike Greenwell. I stole it from him, and I used to wear it down the Jersey Shore, and they were wool. They were, like, heavy. They were, like, that was, like, yeah. one of the good jerseys. There's still a discrepancy he was he won the MVP or he came in second to somebody who then was said they juiced it's Canseco he came in, he came in second to Canseco and and he always maintains like hey you need to give me that he MVP. should he should Canseco should not get the MVP trophy it should we should go back in history and anybody who's kind of been you know criminalized for that should have to give their trophies over to whoever finished second so okay now we're going to get to your career a little bit <laughs> sure man. new hampshire started you grew up in new hampshire yes and then you joined the military i went to college Where on a rotsy scholarship so i was and for anybody out there who's young and trying to get to college rotsy is a fantastic way instead of an, accruing you know two hundred and fifty thousand dollars of debt back in the day i went on uncle sam's dime knowing that i would have to serve after it was kind of a tough process to get through i got accepted to the naval academy too and i didn't want to go I wanted to go with what, her. Why did you want to go to Naval? I Academy? like women. Okay. A lot. And uh, so I went to Boston University on a ROTC scholarship. Well, you, you know, you go to drill like once a week and you march around the parking lot. And I remember I, and I played soccer at BU too. And my, my roommates saw me one day on the street in my Navy uniform. This was months. I'd known them for eons, six or seven months. And they totally walked right by me and they had no idea. <laughs> I was like, funny. hey, guys. And they, they go, Jamie? And I was like, yes. And they go, you're in ROTC? And I was like, yes, I am. How did you think I paid for school? Because BU at the time was like one of the most expensive schools in the country. It's, I think it's still ridiculous expensive. So I, sir, I, I did my time there. And then I, the day after I got graduated, I, I got commissioned in the military and drove cross-country and started my service in San Diego. Now, how long is the commission for? I owed four years. I ended up doing five uh, I liked it. I liked my time in. I went overseas. It was really fun. I was on a kid-class destroyer. I served as a combat systems officer. Now, did you ever think of making that your career? I did, actually. For a long time, I thought I would be a career. My brother's a career guy. He's an admiral. And I loved it. And then I had one uh, one captain. The first captain I had was amazing. We had such a fun ship, and it was a ball. And, you know, he was always about Liberty Ports and playing golf and let's get ashore and show the flag. And this was, like, right after Top Gun came out. So, you know, we... 
people didn't hate us as much as they do now. And weren't you in San, were you in San Diego? I was in San Diego. I was living in Pacific Beach, and I was... You know you what's know. funny about San Diego and Top Gun is because I lived, me and my ex-wife lived in the gas lamp. Huh? Everyone saw Top Gun, and they saw sure. the uh, the Del Mar, where we're no Mirror, Mar, Mar, but then the bar they hung out was a bar in yep. downtown. downtown. And I was telling people, it's not possible. These guys are not driving no. 45 miles, and it's just because no. the people watching Hollywood... Look at you, plot killer. <laughs> yes, <laughs> it's, a, it's a location that they used. Now, they Pacific, used that bar downtown. Pacific Beach is beautiful. I mean, you must have been loving it. I had a ball. Are you kidding? I had an amazing time. But then I had a captain on my last ship that I he was all about work, 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 work. And he kind of took the fun out of it. And I was like, you know what? I'm, I'm going to try something else. And so I was living in PB and I got out and I was going to get into advertising. I never really knew what I was going to do at that point. I just, uh, I got a job bartending. I knew I wanted to take a couple of years and just fool around and goof in off. In San Diego? Yeah, I worked at the Pacific Beach Brewing Company. Okay, do you remember Fibber McGee's? Of course I remember Fibber McGee's. I, we used to do comedy there. Bobby Lee, Gary oh Owens. God. That uh, was after Don, Don me, King. after I was there, because yeah. I knew Bobby Lee in San Diego. Yeah, he used to do uh, improv with me. Okay. In improv group Yeah, this, this is probably in, um, God, I lived there 18 years ago. But yeah. Fibber, Fibber McGee's, and it was in, I think it was Vicky Babalock, yep. Bobby Lee, Gary Owens, who's just sure. in that new movie with Kevin Hart. The first time I did stand-up was at the comedy store. Okay. On a Monday night in front of nobody. Was I Fred was Burns still Fred up? Burns was running the roost. Uh, I still am good friends with Ralph Waxman. Chris Clobber, Karen Rontowski, I just saw the other night, this whole San Diego crew. But what's funny is I only did stand-up a little bit down there, and but I did a lot of improv, and so I started to get some work. I just fell into some things. I fell into a couple commercials, a commercial agent rep me, I did a Renegade episode, a Silk Stockings, and all of a sudden I kind of accrued these SAG credits. And I was like, I'm going to jump. And I just moved to L.A. not knowing one person on earth. No one, no one. So just, no. now you have, you had, had you been here a lot or visited or? I, I started to come up and take classes with Gary Austin just randomly. He's an improv teacher. And I was like, I was really kind of doing pretty well for a guy who had absolutely no training whatsoever in San Diego. I was working a bunch and uh, I was like, this is going to be the easiest profession I've ever entered. Uh, I had booked the very first commercial audition I went on for SeaWorld and ended up making a boatload of money. And so when I moved up here, I was like, here we go. Here I am. Let's rock and roll. And it was a major adjustment. Now, where'd you live? Where'd you, where's your first place to live? I always wonder where people pick Pico, when they come up. You know, it's so random. It was Pico and Robertson. And I don't know how I found it. It's a nice area. Uh, it was very Hasidic Jewish, so I was in the middle. I was invisible to them. They would see this Irish Catholic guy walking down the street, and they know that I'm not going to the chosen land with them. <laughs> so they, li- I, it was honestly, it, my I was invisible. <laughs> I was truly invisible. No, they're Hasidic Jews. It was very, very Jewish. But I was only there for a little bit, and I got a job at the Crocodile Cafe, which is now Boa in Santa Monica. Uh, God, the crowd and I was they, waiting tables making no perfect. money whatsoever and uh, yeah it was hard man it was hard when I first got here I would thought for sure I'd start to work and it took me a while I joined Acme Theater Company and I, I just auditioned straight in I started performing in their company and uh, yeah those first couple of years I remember being overwhelmed I didn't know anybody and I was also like 30 years old like everyone moved here at 21 so all these people who were my age were all friends with each other they, you know you kind of come up with people and they knew each other and so you know I finally met people in my theater company and I remember having talking to a guy Steve Bean who was such a good cat and he's a, he was a big actor at the time and had done a million commercials and the, they were in my theater company I remember looking up to them and I, I was talking to them after me like how do you get auditions like how I couldn't get an agent I didn't know anything you know I didn't know what to do and uh but you were SAG, right? I was already SAG. And that didn't Luckily, help? it totally helped. People who were not SAG were in serious trouble. Um, but you know, eventually, I got a commercial agent. They were terrible. 
Hervey Grimes was my first agent here, I think. Marsha Hervey and Pam Grimes. They actually were very nice to me. They just didn't, you know, they weren't powerful. They didn't, people always like, hey, I want to get with CAA. You're like, no, you don't. That's the last, they, you get buried there. Exactly. And they actually helped me a bunch. And I, they, all of a sudden I got some auditions out of nowhere. And they came and saw a showcase I did at Acme. And it was, you know, now it seems like, oh yeah, it kind of did happen quickly. That was like four, over three or four years of working. And then finally, uh, some casting people came to a show at Acme and brought me in for Friends. And I was like, oh, and I was really like, Jesus, this is scary. And uh, I booked it. I ended up being on Friends. And that was kind of like a little pat on the back to go, you know what? You you could do this. This is actually something well, you could such, do. It was such a huge show. I mean, it's like, that's it like the like, guest spot. And it anyone. was the week they were on the Rolling Stone cover. The set was had security around it. It was like the biggest thing on earth. And from then on, all of a sudden, I started to get all these little parts in all these four-camera sitcoms. I booked a lot of commercials. I ended up recurring on Will and & Grace. And then, you know, and then it sounds like it's a couple of years. It was actually many years down the road. I booked uh, My Boys, which was 10 years. I'd been here 10 years. Well, that show was very... Uh it got great reviews. It was one of those Yeah, and it lasted four seasons. It was great. I met my wife. I bought a, ha- a house. It was, was finally some validation. No, I just met her through the process of working on the show. So now, what's the process? Was it? I, I, I hear some luck. I hear horror stories. It's pure luck. But I hear like when you audition. Like, <laughs> oh, they're all horror stories. Like Robert Romanus when he did Damone. He said he went for Fast and Ridge Mount High. He said he went back, like, five times. I went back five times for for my boy. Finally, I told him he goes, you know what? If I'm not going to stop calling me, and they finally yeah. gave him the part. You have to just not care. Uh, one of my first pilots I ever booked was a George Clooney pilot on HBO called Kilroy that he had written and exec produced. And uh, I was terrified. I had just done, I think, the Will and Grace I had started to recur on. But it was first, I was starting to get out for pilot season, which at that time was pretty big. And uh, I remember I went in for the first read, second read, and then the third read, Clooney's in the room with me. And he reads with me. And, uh, and I kept talking to him, going like, "Hey, man, I, f- I feel like I've done this every which way. I just, I want to try something." He's like, "Just do it the exact same way. All we're doing is each of those five auditions. What they're doing is, we like what you're doing. We're going to bring three more people into the room to see you. Do it the same way. Two weeks later, they bring you back in. There's five more people in the room. Do it the same. They don't want to. They don't want you to really. They just want to see that. And so the final one I read was with Clooney at HBO." And he read with me, and I was so nervous. You signed your contracts before to say exactly what you're going to make, and uh, I just remember being so nervous. And I was bartending at the time at O'Brien's in Santa Monica, and uh, he read with me in front of all these HBO suits, top floor, in a theater. It's like really heavy duty. And they make you sit there for like two hours. They finally call you in, and they go, go, here's the scene, and it's nerve-wracking. And I crushed, and he was so great, and he improvised in the scene, and we went off base, and it was so much fun. I was like, holy shit, I'm hanging hanging on with Clooney. This is pretty right. amazing for a guy who has no theater background whatsoever. And uh, I book it, and I go, great. And so we go to the table read, and it's Frank Langella's The Acting Teacher. Nick Lang, Chad Morgan, all these actors are the cat. And I'm, I'm the dick in the acting class, the redheaded dick in the acting class. And uh, we shoot it. My scenes with Frank Langella are like, ma- I'm like he's amazing. He's he one is those, so amazing. He's one of those underrated guys that like people. If you say Frank Langella, they don't know his name. But when you see him, you go, oh, oh, that Frank guy. Langella. He was in movies. He's he was fa- he was Dracula in the yeah, 70s. Yeah, exactly. he's, he's amazing. But I will tell you, doing the scenes with him, he, you couldn't hear a word he said. Anytime you talk to him, he's like, really. You do the scene, you're like, <laughs> oh, hey, excuse me, teacher, can I talk to you? And he's like, yes, what can I tell you? 
and, and so a couple of lines he would say to me I'd have to go like I'm sorry what and he'd go I would say, he would just say it again but he knew because when I watched it back his performance came off so powerful because he knows he's miked and that they I learned such a lesson because I'm trying to project you know like I'm on right. stage and Frank Langella's talking to you like this and then you're like it draws you as the audience you couldn't help because he was the this supposed to be like famous acting teacher and he was like let me tell you something about acting and you're like oh my god so it's so amazing so we go to the table read we do the shoot everyone's like everyone tells me quit your day job dude we're, this is gonna run for five years it's Clooney it's HBO here we go but I don't I didn't quit my day job so we don't hear for like two months and then sure enough word comes back and they goes yeah that's not happening that's they didn't pick it up see that's always that always must be so frustrating because when you I mean I think what happens is you don't look at the point where you should be so happy that you got to that level yeah. where you're working with these people. You just look at it and you go, holy crap, <laughs> I got to keep my day job. I mean, it's just, it must be, it must be a little frustrating. It's totally frustrating and it never feel, ends. But did you feel, pr- you must have felt proud also. I you, felt immensely proud. Because you were working with these amazing yeah. people. I mean, you're working with Clooney. I mean, come on. It was pretty amazing and uh, it was a great, but it was like one week's work and it was magic and you're like, oh, I want to do this. I want to do this every day. Like when I worked on Will and Grace, I did like six episodes and every time I'd go back, I mean, not only was I looking across at the four main actors knowing that they were making $500,000 a week. Right. I mean, 500000 I know. Monday's a one-hour table read. One hour, $100,000. Thanks for coming. So anytime you see people, they were, they were all very nice, but you'd see people in this business who like, ugh, all they do is complain about shit and you're like, dude, you're making so you much. Yeah. And listen, they're all amazing talents, but we know a billion amazing talents in this town that there but for the grace of God. It is the luck of hitting. When I got my boys, everything just fell into place. And yep. it was a magic ride that we had for four years. But that show could have easily been canceled after the pilot and not picked up. And, you know, for somebody to be on Cheers or Seinfeld, it's, you know, you're, you're great to get the part. But you're lucky to get a seven-year run on oh, any yeah. show. Well, and the funny thing also with Seinfeld also was, you know, they were going to cancel. It was a, less, the the first season's not very good. It's pretty hard to watch. And Cheers, it was like the yeah. lowest rated show. Cheers was the lowest rated show. Now, it would be gone today. It would never yeah, now, if you, if you have three episodes of bad, it's like you're gone. It's over. Now, when you were, before you got My Boys, were you now, were you doing stand-up then? Or when did you start doing stand-up? I was doing stand-up, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was doing stand-up a lot then. I had started um, a few years after being here. I started doing stand-up. Now, I saw a picture, and I couldn't tell, because you have to tag this stuff. There was a picture you put up on Facebook I, I saw the other day, a few weeks ago, about O'Brien's, and there's a bunch of you guys who are like, who were some of those comics? Because it was a picture. Chelsea Handel is one of them. Okay, I saw Maz Jabrani. in it. I saw Maz. Buden's not in no, that. Maz, okay, Maz. Maz Jabrani, okay. uh, Jason Galern, it was amazing. But back in the day, when we did O'Brien's, I just, I started a room because I couldn't get stage time anywhere because nobody knew me, so I started this room, and then I booked people. And then when I booked people who were other bookers, I would do their rooms. So it was a, you know, I, I learned a lot on that stage, but it also got me stage time around the town. But everybody appeared. Zach Galifianakis had been on that stage. Uh, Brody Stevens. Anybody from that era had come through at least a handful of times and done the show. And that's the room still going. It is actually still going. And what's funny, it's now it's like, I'm going to say it's six or seven bookers past me. Like, I passed it on to one guy. And then he gave it up, and I passed it on another guy. And then I got out of the loop. Now I'll go to that show, and people are like, yeah, who are you? And I'm like, uh, I started this right. show That's funny. 20 years ago. Because I, I, did, I did it a while ago, but now I don't really perform much anymore. And I went down and... Who was running it then? Dave Forsyth. 
He's one of my best friends. I just spoke to him this morning. It's Dave. He's his, a, his room. No, no, I did. I did. Uh, he's a great cat. Do you know Johnny Cardinal? Uh, yeah, he just got married a week ago. He's one of my best friends too. Well, his room he, is unbelievable. He started the room with me. The one out west, the end, one out uh, like an hour out of town or something. Yeah, that's uh, that's I heard I, it's phenomenal. Forsyth was there, yeah. and I went with a guy named Ron Yavanelli. He drove, yep. and I, we didn't know how far it was. And we're going, it's pretty one, far. Yeah, it's one of those things where you're driving and you're far. going, you're sitting there and you're going, wait, did did we miss like because yeah. you you never been out there? I'm like, did we miss it? It's pretty far. Yeah, and but that room, we go in there, and you don't know what to expect. What's well, a road gig? And yeah, and it was yeah. I mean, it was packed. Yeah. And they were cool. And thank God, no one told me it was clean comedy. Thank God I didn't curse. Cause Very seldom is it clean comedy. I, I think I said something, and Ron Yavin, I was like, you know, it's supposed to be clean. I said, I said crap. I said, I didn't say crap on TV. He's like, oh, that's funny. well, it said clean. I'm like, well, thank God I didn't drop any F-bombs, because, oh, you yeah. know, that would have been crazy. Is this show clean, by the way? Uh, no F-bombs. Okay, because I actually had a ga- I had a pullback a couple. I thought I was going to drop a couple of bombs, and I didn't. The F- no, because the F-bomb now is because it plays for my college radio. Anything else with my college radio, I don't want to get them in trouble. No, 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 no. So you're doing stand-up. I love in this day and age, though, like, we can't say the F-bomb, but every kid who's listening to this on their computer is literally two clicks away from the most disgusting Japanese porn you could oh, get your hands on. You know, it amazes like me. Like animal husbandry. Well, you know what's funny is, I, and I don't know why I do this, I, I even put, when I when I do on Facebook, I pull, put F with a the little star, yeah, CK. I, yeah. I do that, and I think it's just because, you know, my niece listens to the sure. show. My niece, some friends of my niece on Facebook. But I can remember she's a freshman in high school who lives in Manhattan. She lives in Manhattan all her life. She hears cursing. Everybody's every doing heroin. Let me tell you right yeah. now, they all are way ahead of the game at this point. <laughs> Do you remember, like when we were kids? I, I mean, I think I had my first drink at sixteen, and even then, everyone's like, "Oh my god, that's so young, 16. Well, see, for now, me, kids, kids are like eleven and twelve. Well, our freshman year in high school. We would go to parties and we would drink. I remember we'd we'd sit there and you'd steal beer or sure. like like my friend's dad drank Ballantine. So one of my first beers ever was Ballantine, which was just awful. <laughs> which, but it's a really strong beer, by the yes, way. Yes, I know. It's a very very strong beer. <laughs> but back then, but the funny thing is, though, also is we started drinking earlier and we were insane in high school and oh in college. God. But we were responsible. I don't know. I don't know. I anyone, was not. But did you ever get in a, Did you ever get a DUI? I never got a DUI. Knock on wood. Did you ever get in a car accident when you were younger uh, from drinking? That you got taken for or anything? Oh no no, no. convicted? It's no, like no, no. a deal. Strike. You ever get in a car accident where they sat there and they said, uh, "No, no okay, because you drink." We drank and we were out of control. I, I'm not saying we weren't out of control, but we were smart out of control. I kind of was. Uh, yeah, I was a crafty little bastard when I was a younger guy, and I got away with some stuff. Actually, I had a couple accidents where I should have probably been in trouble, but I did not. I, I was I was lucky, you know. You look back, and you know we all know people who got into car wrecks and uh, got killed or got DUIs uh, or killed somebody else or something. And it's a lot of times at that age, it is just sheer luck and numbers and it's math and consequences. I knew two guys that were so stupid. No, they're like they people are stupid though. Don't get me wrong. I have friends where you're like, I think I do drive way more diligent and safer after a few drinks. Like I'm not trying to run the yellow. I'm I follow all the laws. Yeah. So I always yeah. say it's like a big. And community. I also listen. I have a baby. I stopped yeah. drinking and driving years ago. But in the eighties and nineties, yeah. I, oh, I did. I mean, I mean, I got yeah. a DUI eight or nine years ago in Burbank, right around the corner from my house. Right. Now I don't drink and drugs. I'm like, I'm not because you don't want to be that guy because you have to take that class. And then when yeah. the teacher goes, "Hey, you look familiar," you don't want to be the guy that looks yeah. familiar. And I know guys who've gotten like three. And I go, at what point? Especially now when there's do you Uber hire a cab? I mean, Uber. Yeah. It's like, hey, your first ride's free. Lyft. I mean, when it's I see crazy. somebody really famous like Kiefer Sutherland, who by the way is doing tequila commercials, right? I know, and, and, and the, the catchphrase <laughs> is tree. "Have a story." Yeah, how about how about if the story is you 
are an idiot drunken driver when you're also a multi-millionaire and can hire a full-time driver and you just got a DUI, you should go to jail. Yeah, you're an idiot. My girlfriend and me were talking about this. So let's say this show became a huge, huge hit, like I got Howard Stern money, or let's say I won a huge right. lottery. We would never drive again. Ever. I mean, not even when no. we're not drinking driving. I would say, I'm going grocery shopping because yeah. I love grocery Pick me up. Well, that's like I just saw today, uh, they, there was a video on uh, with Charlie Sheen. And I guess last night, he was at uh, Taco Bell. And these people noticed him, so he got out of the car, and he's drunk. He goes, oh, sorry, I'm really effing hammered. And he's like... Was he driving? No, that's the thing, though. He said, okay. they go, oh, and he goes, who's that? And the guy's like, it's all right, Dan, or whatever. He goes, that's that's my driver. And he's like, we're safe, we're fine. But at least he was smart enough yeah. to sit there and go, get... And plus, who... I would rather, I would rather sit there and just relax anyway. Why, yeah. can, why even drive if you don't have to drive? <laughs> well, I would see guys, and they go... Like, oh, I just want to buy a you know, $250,000 Maserati. Like, they want these f- cars. And I go, dude, give me the $30,000 Prius and give me the driver. I'd rather have somebody drive me around than drive a... Wouldn't that be funny if you had, like, a really crappy car? I was thinking... And you just go... <laughs> and they go, that's a pretty crappy car. And I go, yeah, but that's Fred. He's my driver. That's what I was thinking. He's with me all the time. I, I have my car as a 96 Toyota Tercel. Right. And I keep it because it's paid off. It has 102,000 miles. You're not getting it. pulled over in that, by the exactly. way. Exactly. I always, that's why I say when I, yeah. I talk my act, when I wear a hat, they think I'm an old man. Yeah. I'm not getting pulled over. Yeah. And it has 102,000 miles on it. I pay $48 a month insurance. I said, you know what? I will take that. I don't yeah. As Does I said, it get you from point A to point yeah. B? Then that's the purpose of a vehicle. I don't. I, I want to be comfortable. Listen, the air conditioning has to work. I, I have air. Yeah, I have air. You know what I'm saying? But I'm fine with a cassette deck. I don't have a because I, I have cassettes. I don't <laughs> care about like pulling up to a stoplight and having some girls go, oh, my my God, look at that Lamborghini. I don't, never have been that guy. I just don't care about it. I just want to get from point A. And the other thing is, if you have a really nice car, all you do is worry about it. Yeah. You're going to go to drive to Ralph's Park in the parking lot and then go, uh, some jackass is going to key my you car. you got to park all the way across yeah, the Yeah, it's a pain in the ass. And then you valet, you're going to valet it with some little crazy kid at a, at a restaurant to let him drive and then try to explain to him how to drive your Lamborghini Countach. Yeah, I've, I've, never, I've never, where do you drive now? Do you have a Prius? I have a Prius. Okay. I have a Prius station wagon now with the baby. It's a Prius V. I love it. And I had a Prius before this. I had a 2006 Prius that my wife kind of made me trade in because we had the baby and she wanted a bigger car and so we went from the Prius to the Prius V that was my big jump now I, now where do, where do you charge it no 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 it's Prius is a but hybrid it's a it's an electric car but it also takes gas so it's the it's gets like 45 miles to the gallon okay now where do people charge when they have those electric cars I, mean, uh, I, I have friends and I actually looked into it I was going to do it but my house the driveway is not you'd have to have a driveway that kind of came in past a gate or somewhere where nobody would mess with your car like you need you need a plug and they put a charging station either in your garage or on the side of the house and then when you park the car you plug it in the other thing is with those things it's only I think it's 35 miles is all you'll get. That's it? Per charge. You'll have okay. to charge it after 35 miles, which is great if you're, hey, if you're going over the hill. But yeah, it's not... If you, yeah, but if you if you get to drive to Irvine or all of a sudden, most people who have them have a second or third car and that's their one car that they kind of use for their back and forth to work in the morning and then on the weekends they drive their if Escalade. You, if you, if you, yeah, exactly. To, to make up for the gas if, they didn't waste. If, if, if you break down your screw because you don't see AAA bringing a really long cord. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, yeah. here you go. There's some guy cranking a battery exactly. right, while he's trying to charge So, so after uh, my, my boys, yeah. now that must have been great. It was on for four yeah. years. Now, did you start getting recognized? Because I mean, it seems like a show that it wasn't uh, like it didn't have huge viewing, but it seemed one of those things like TBS, like Men at Work. All their shows are really good right now because regular TV sucks. I mean, but all the shows are sure. FX, TNT, TBS. Yeah. So you have that. They have those people who are really devout fans because they, first of all, they can watch it and they're smart enough we to still watch. Get, it. I still get recognized here, and they'll be in an airport or something, and some guy will come up and start talking to me, but like. 
but it, there's this always this wonder it's like does he know me from the show or did I serve beers to him or did we get a, I just it's weird and then he goes hey my, my boys or I'll get a lot of times they go they know me from something but I've also been on so many different shows that and I'm a redhead so I kind of stick out with a big square jaw so people were like you look familiar to me and then we'll play the game and they'll be like are you an actor and I go sometimes I'll just go no 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 but you know sometimes they're like yes and they go what have I seen you in and you're like okay here's my IMDB page do right. any of these things look familiar <laughs> to you and then they finally they go no yeah. well none of those <laughs> and then at the end they feel so bad they always end with uh, yeah I don't really watch TV then why did you come up and talk to me? I'm really confused. That's yeah, it must be crazy. Now, uh, when did you stop bartending? I mean, when did you sit there and say, "I can stop this"? Because bartending was probably pretty fun in Santa Monica. I I had two shifts still that I did every uh, week, and we shot the first season of My Boys, and basically I just gave those shifts away. Anytime I'd work, I would give that week away. I would call buddies and go, "Hey, you can have this shift." And they, I, Wednesday and Sunday, those were my two shifts. But after we finished the first season of My Boys, uh, I was going back. I didn't care. I just was going to pick up shifts while we were off. And then we got picked up for season two, and we went back to shoot that. And I kept giving all my shifts away. And I, so I gave shifts away for like six months. And finally, the manager called. He's like, "Dude, do you still work here?" And I go, "I, I guess I don't." But I never really ever wanted to quit the gig because I knew I would have a friend I have friends who used to bartend with me and they'd book one commercial they'd go they'd come in and they'd go book the Heineken spot screw you I'm out of this place you right. can rot in hell and then sure enough two months later he'd be back he's like hey man I'm sorry about what I said you know I listen is it possible to kind of maybe get back on the schedule and get a shift or two because I'm broke you mean that Heineken money for that six month spot didn't last you for the rest of your life yeah. that didn't buy you the house on the hill you thought was going to happen well, after after the show ended, now now you're you're back out. We're gonna talk about now because you know that's the show was on for four years. Now it must have been, um, but you made great friends. I know you're friends with Mike now, and yeah, we still I see Reed, I saw Reed the other night. Kyle, we all play golf. We're all pretty good friends. They were all in my wedding party. Okay, so you so you you got good friendships out of it, but it must have mm-hmm. been disappointing. Did it get canceled or was it just a? They sure, yeah, it hurt. It got canceled. Uh, I always felt like we had a pretty good run, though. I felt very lucky to have the run we had. But sure, I mean, you know, anytime it ends, you're like. Because we, we really enjoyed making it. Like, it was the most fun. I always felt very blessed that I had that experience. Like, people who've said they worked on Cheers or whatever were like, dude, you know, it's never, even after Cheers, I'm sure it never got better. For They had great careers and stuff, but, you know, the, the they were number one show. It was insane. Right. Like, you were on Cheers. It was must-see Thursday night. Like, they, I guess the whole week was a party, and they would just write and shoot and be creative and put the show up on a Friday night, shoot it, go boom, come back Monday, do it again for how many years? Ten, ten years right. or something? And you're like, it's just unheard of in Hollywood. So to even have a run of that for four seasons with, like, some of my best friends, we, all we did was play ping pong all day long and foosball and then we would hang around after and have drinks and we would shoot and it would just it was magic it was it's, really magic it seems like that that's all because I went to a taping of Sullivan and Son sure yeah those and, guys are great too. and I think it's the same thing for Stepper, them because yeah. they're all you know because Roy has been on the show and Gary yeah. Cannon who does warm up has been on but they'd say Owen's think great they're, they're all they're, great guys they're all comics yeah and so they know and they're they all know it's just good to have a job you know and you're not on the road and it's just back to you know getting to actually pay paid pretty well to do what you kind of came to do so you've kind of reached this giant goal in life like when you first come here you're like I just want it so bad and then all of a sudden you get it and you're like that's 
pretty great. <laughs> and then you're like, I don't want this to ever end. Right. And of course, everything comes to an end. But you know, you hopefully jump on to the next project. But you know, it also kind of tempers your your outlook on stuff where you're like, hey man, there's always ups and downs. And that, you know, we're talking about that movie about the guys on uh, the character actors and. I, I know all those guys and they're amazing actors and you'll talk to them and they'll be like dude I didn't work for a two year block from 2004 to 2006 I almost had to sell my house or I did sell my house and that's just the nature of the beast with what we do you know so now I know well you were, you got into hosting you hosted a show I do I host I, I think that's another thing about this town is that you have to adapt because if you just you know unless you're Ted Danson or William Shatner or Tony Danza who are just continually being offered TV shows, you better find other ways to get an income. Well, you're hosting it. I think it sort of it sort of seems like you're proactive because I know when we had, you were before we talked, yeah. we'd done the baseball thing with Mike, so that that was hosting. Yeah, Mike somewhat. and I put that together. I actually sold that show and then went and shot it for uh, uh, that network, and uh, and it was great. We and, and I I'm doing the same. I'm trying to make other shows, but. You know, I go on the road as a stand-up still. I host a show on the American Heroes right. channel. Yes, the American show. Yeah, America yep. Facts versus Fiction. We're just actually shooting season two of that right now. Now, how'd that, how that arise? And was that a long process for you? Uh, or? You know, it was a process where I actually had met the people, and they pitched the show to me. And I'm a former military guy, and it was uh, for the military channel at the time. And I was like, you know, I love American history. And uh, Are you a big history buff? I'm a huge history buff, yeah. And so, for me, it was a... I'm like, yeah, they had me from like the first meeting. And so that was kind of cool that they had reached out to do that. And it's kind of turned into a really fun gig. And I've done a lot of stuff uh, promotionally for that. And so what does this show entail? The show is basically uh, Mythbusters meets American history. So what they say is, hey, uh, you think you know Paul Revere's ride because we've all been taught from the Longfellow poem or whatever, the midnight ride of Paul Revere. And we think we know what it is. But, but here's the truth. Paul Revere didn't actually make that ride. He got arrested, Dr. Samuel Prescott, another gentleman, m actually made the ride, and we basically break down the myths of American history as to what you think happened. We're just uh, we're shooting one in the Alamo right now that's coming out in the fall, and it was amazing. It's you, you know you think you know history because as kids we all read these little history books that said you know a hundred men fought against right, you know, right. Santa Ana's army. It's not as clear cut as that. So we kind of it's a thirty minute show and we go into detail about it. It's a great great show I really enjoy doing it now do you go on location like no no I'm okay. totally on camera uh, green screen uh, I work with Workaholic Productions and this guy Luke Ellis who puts together this fantastic show and they have these writers and they write this amazing historical stuff and then they shoot me and kind of incorporate me into the green screen they're like they used to make uh, Modern Marvels which I love too that was kind of one of the, the plugs that I, I loved when they said, hey, we used to make Modern Marvels come do the show with us. Modern Marvels isn't on anymore? I think they might still be making more, but they made they made hundreds and hundreds no. of Modern Marvels. Oh, no, I saw some monumental show last week. It was, yeah. a, it was about the Jersey Shore, Lucy the Elephant, which is Margate, which if you're from that area, you right. know exactly. Well, what, give me some other uh, of these facts, because I didn't, I didn't know about the Paul Revere. No, you'll, have to, you'll have to come watch the show. No, the old but ones. We did ben I mean, Franklin, I, Thomas Edison. We talked about uh, the Brooklyn Bridge, uh, the Hoover Dam we just did one on. Um... Route 66, and it's great. I used check it out. America Facts versus Fiction. It's really great. And do you enjoy the hosting? I, mean, I really like it. Yeah, I and you know, I kind of fought it, kicking and screaming years ago. I was like, I want to be an actor. I want to be De Niro and everything. And now I do it, and I love it. I hosted a show. Uh, we just shot a pilot on country music television. That's kind of a you know a, a comedy show, Tosh Point kind of vibe, and it's uh, it was really fun to do. And I I'm starting to really enjoy more and more hosting. So people have reached out a little bit more, and so we'll do that.
Now, the Lady Killers is a movie you're in. Yeah. Now, I know... Shot a couple independent movies. How, how, did, how did, did people find... How did they find... Did they well, I know Phil Lernis, the writer and director, who's a really good friend of mine, and he'd made a bunch of other movies. And one of my first jobs in town, I was in... I had, like, two lines in one of his first movies, The Party Crashers. And this was years and years ago. And we kind of kept in touch a little bit, but not a ton. And he reached out to me and was like, hey, I wrote this part for you. And I was like, I love it. And then he sent me the script, and I was like, this is a great script. And uh, so I ended up shooting that with Dean Haglin and Ari Gross. We shot that last summer. Actually, it's really funny because the first day of shooting was the day my baby was born. Okay. And they had moved the schedule to accommodate the due date, but the baby came three weeks early. So I actually missed the first day of shooting. They put a guy in my wardrobe, tried to shoot the scene around me, uh, you know, from like the neck down or from the back or whatever, incorporating everyone else's lines. And then when I came back the next day, they tried to shoot all my alternate lines to match it all up. And <laughs> it's kind of funny that they, it's the magic of cinema that they can make stuff like that work. Because I was like, I called them at 11 o'clock the night before and said, hey, my wife's in labor. Yeah. I'm, I'm <laughs> not going to be there. Right? I'm not going to make it. And Bert, <laughs> one of the producers, Bert Bulos, was like, but but you're still coming, right? No, dude, no. Do you think my wife would... What would happen if I went and like shot this low-budge indie film, The <laughs> Lady like Killers, people, people like and missed the pro, birth of my child? Pro football players miss a game, and they get yada, and miss know, that, all that money, right? and then you're, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm going to go, yeah, you know, I'll be there. Actually, you know what? I'm going to do that, and then I'm going to shoot a web yeah, series yeah, yeah. for YouTube after she that. She had begged me not to take it, too. She's like, you don't, you're, you're crazy. It's going to be in the middle of the shooting. So, of course, I you know, I left her in the hospital the Sunday. The baby was born Saturday and Sunday. She didn't leave the hospital till Monday. And I left her in, from the hospital. And I went to set and shot with those guys for like 12 hours and then went back to the hospital and slept in the hospital with my wife and the baby. Now, a movie I, I know you had just won some awards. I want to hear about Teacher of the Year. Teacher of the Year, Jason Strauss, an amazing... It's so funny because we talk about uh, this whole crazy casserole of career where it's like... I mean, you look back and you're like, yeah, TV, film, uh, I've done a bunch of commercials, I'm hosting stuff, I do stand-up on the road. You have to kind of be an everyman, I think, in this town to make it. But yeah, this this guy, Jason Strauss, another friend of mine who, you know, you, you're around town long enough, and he reached out and he said, hey, I have this part for you to play this crazy robotics teacher. Now, how long have you known him for? I'd known him for years. We did stand-up years and years together. He had worked on uh, Carolina in the City. He was a big writer. And he uh, had this idea for the school uh, film. It's about uh, basically the teachers in the teachers' lounge and their insanity. And he had a part for me. And he goes, "Hey, I wrote this part for you. It's uh, this robotics teacher, and he's kind of crazy." And so I, th I thought it was kind of a joke. He was shooting a really low budget, so I was like, "Yeah, I'll glue on a mustache. I'll be this crazy guy. Put some glasses on." And sure enough, like a year later, uh, Keegan Michael Key's in it. Uh, Matt Lesher. Um, gosh, the Sklar brothers were in it. It was amazing talent, uh, talented group of people. And uh, I never thought anything would happen of it. You know, see these films, they, I, we shoot them all the time, these little films, and nothing happens. But sure enough, he gets some buzz, and he goes, we go to the uh, Newport Beach Film Festival that he ended up winning. And so I go, and I see this thing on the big screen, and I have a glue-on mustache that I'm watching the whole time, like, oh, why <laughs> did I make that choice? Yo, it's funny. I never thought anyone would see it. And sure enough, it's a good lesson to go, you never know who's going to see this thing. Well, it's funny also how, how the towns, all people, I mean, how many people are connected in this town. Newport Film Film Festival, Newport Beach, Beach Film, Film Festival. Festival. I think it was two years ago. There was this sh a movie called a bang of a bag of hammers. I remember the name. I never saw it. And the one gentleman who wrote it, I've known since he was like 
young because I used to wait tables with his mom right. was named Jake Sandvig and she was the costume person for my boys Mich- uh, Shelly yes I was going to say I know that last yeah. name Shelly because I remember when I oh that's so random person she yeah. and he he was a new part because they did yeah. him and Jason Ritter did this movie and uh Gabriel that's what Mark. it was Jason Ritter's yeah. in it that's it and so that's it's just so weird how like there's so many connections in this yeah. town it's like it, it's crazy it is crazy and honestly that's what kind of hurt me about showing up here at the age of 30 because by the time all my contemporaries were here at the age of 30 they'd been here for 10 years whenever you see someone and they're in like a TV show like you know Beverly Hills 90210 and they are like playing teens you go oh how'd that guy get the job he didn't he didn't just show up. And you're like, oh, you find out they've been acting since they were five. They've had 100 right. commercials. They're comfortable on set. They are good at what they do. It takes a decade to really get entrenched in this town. Well, I, I had a guest who was, you probably, because you, you know everybody, you know Richard Rucolo? I do know. He has that great online series. Uh, what is it called? It's a animated thing. I don't know, because he's, he's from Marlton, New Jersey. Which yeah. Is like, uh, I used to see him at a tons of auditions. Well, he said how, like, when he did two girls a guy in a pizza yeah. place Ryan Reynolds was so professional but Ryan Reynolds had been acting since the same thing that's what I five. Ryan Reynolds said he's never done anything but acting yeah like when he's a little kid he guessed it on my boys he was friends with the exec producer and he played a little part and he came on set and he was very nice And but he was uber professional right like, this is a business and he you know there's a reason he's a movie star he's an unbelievably good looking guy he got in great shape he's he's good at what he does I was never that guy I was like just stand here and say your lines and let's <laughs> let's be funny and go and it was really you know I learned a lot and it was great but I had never when I first got here I didn't know what I was doing I didn't go to drama school I was 30 years old I'd been in a Navy lieutenant right and people were like what are you doing here and I was like I want to act <laughs> I remember my father begging me he was like don't please please this is a terrible mistake you're making you're never going to work and people told me I was crazy I never would I would never work and now I look back at some of those people and they're out of town right and I've been here you know 20 years well I remember last time business. last time you were on you you're starting to go out for more commercial auditions because you've done it for a while but now you've booked yeah. a lot of commercials in the yeah. and you I still have a, I have a couple running now I have an Affleck running and you know it's funny what's it's what's like, it like with that? is that duck is there really a duck on the set uh, yes there is a duck and there is puppetry and there is uh, uh, like uh, th- graphics animation okay and then they combine it all together that was most of the most of the two days of shooting was shooting the duck. Okay, and then the other guy and I just were they shot it and we we're like, hey, what's happening? We're doing uh, I saw that one, and then you were in a KFC one. KFC was a great family one. I shot a few. You know, what's funny. The director David O. Russell, the uh, Academy Award winning director. Wait, the one that yeah. Wait, the KFC where you're eating in the kitchen. Yes. Where you the David O. Russell calls? directed those all the KFCs. I've done like three KFC spots, and they it was all David O. Russell. And sure enough, you know, you get there, and he was talking about this movie he was working on. Uh, and it turned out to be uh, American Hustle. Yeah, and Silver Linings Playbook had just come out because he was saying something about this scene with De Niro or something, and I was like, and then now you're like, oh, that's right, De Niro is an American Hustle. He shows right. up in that weird scene or yeah. something, but he was talking about that movie while he was shooting. But it just goes to show you, like, he's a director. You know, they make a film every couple of years. They're not too proud to pick up a couple of uh, commercial shoots and go right. make some cash. They probably paid him a couple million dollars to come shoot yeah. a handful, and he was so funny to work with it was amazing and you know out of all the commercials I've done I've worked with Peter Kerr who's another big director and you see those commercials and you're like oh yeah that's really well shot man they really 
got moments and nuances, and uh, I thought he did a great job with those spots. It's so funny because now when I watch, if, if it runs, I'll be like, oh wait, because you, you don't it's know over. that stuff. I think it's gone now, but yeah, it was a great now, run. Did Jeff eat a lot of chicken? Uh, yeah, I did not actually. My part was I was just the dad who was like a curmudgeon who was like whatever. And then the kids had the monologue, and my wife had the monologue, and my ki- they had to eat, but I just kind of sat there staring at them most of the... And I remember the audition. I didn't say one word. No, the one I just I, stared at the guy. The one I remember was one on the phone. Oh, with the daughter. Yeah. Yes. That was the other one, because we went back. That was the that second... David Russell really funny. They were both David and Russell, and the first one, I had a totally different family. I had a wife, uh, Kelly Daniels, and these two kids who were amazing, and we shot these a couple spots as the family. And then the next year, I went in... They had another audition series, and I was like, well, I, I played the dad last year. This is going to be weird, right? Unless we're the same family. It's kind of weird. And so I go back the next year, and I book it, and I go to set thinking I'm going to be with the same woman, and it's a totally different wife and a different daughter. And I was talking to the guys who were the KFC guys, and I go, it's kind of weird. I have a different... At first, I didn't want to say anything because I was afraid they wouldn't remember. And then they go, oh, my God, that's right. And they, they'll fire you. <laughs> you. You learn in this town to keep your mouth shut a So lot. Have, have you gotten fired from anything like that? Oh, or? I've been fired. We'll talk about that in a second. So I finally, I don't say anything to these guys going, maybe they don't realize I'm the guy from last year's commercial with a totally different family. <laughs> and so they bring it up. They go, hey, how do you like your new family? And I go, uh, they're great. And the guy was like, he goes, he goes, yeah, yeah, we got a new family. And they go, I go, I, I don't want to get fired, but I, isn't that a little weird that I have the same father two years in a row has a different family? And they go, yeah, we thought it was funny, too. We liked you, so we brought you back. And I was like, dude, I'm all over it. And then I did the scene with the daughter who gets the phone call or whatever. Yeah. So, that's your, so what have you been fired from before? Uh, I only got fired once, and it was from uh, Urkel's show. Uh, it was it was the one after Family Matters. It was just one of the guys, and it wasn't just me. Three three of the actors got fired, and you know it was like it was so funny because you're trying to make a sitcom, and listen, it was Urkel's follow up show. It wasn't Dave Ruby was in it, great guy. It wasn't we weren't changing the face right. of comedy. It's you Urkel. Know? It's, it's like Urkel, <laughs> right? And so we. Uh, you get to set, and it's the tensest set you've ever been on. I mean, I've done. Every sitcom under the sun, you know, <laughs> Friends, Will and Grace, King of Queens, everyone's cool, professional, relaxed. You get to that one. They were so tense about the work. And uh, I was like, guys, we're not curing cancer. You realize that? We're, we're making comedies. We're making Urkel comedies. But it was a CW network, and they had a tie-in with uh, Wrestling Federation that week, and they wanted to make sure it went really well. So they And it, what, the storyline wasn't working right. I was miscast anyway. I wasn't. I wasn't right for that part. Jim Wise ended up getting my part, and he was perfect for it. But they fired me, one other actor, and the director. I got the call on Wednesday, and uh, I was like, "Oh, am I? Am I still getting paid?" And they were like, "Oh yeah, you get paid because once they book you, you get paid." And I was like, "Oh yeah, I don't. I don't care then. No, no, fine. Two less days work for the same amount of money. I couldn't give it, and it never aired anyway. But I did. You know, I felt because here's the deal: somebody hires you, and you. I always." feel like I want to give them you know it's like I always feel an, an allegiance to the audience when I do stand up I, I have some friends you know you'll know guys who are comics and they just have no care about the audience you're lucky to be here and they'll walk the room they don't care what material they do and they'll do whatever they want sometimes they aren't funny and sometimes they are and it's just not right for those people I do feel some allegiance to the audience to go hey you paid good money to come see me perform i'm going to try to entertain you at least for an hour and a half here and and go on so i kind of felt you know because one of the producers was a buddy of mine he had hired me billy rebeck and uh i think he was just outnumbered and they were like yeah he's not the right guy for that part and billy had fought for me 
And so I felt like I had let him down in some way, but I, I didn't really. It had nothing to do. At the end of the day, you think... I used to do a joke that would say, you know, the best thing about moving to L.A. is that you never have to care what anybody thinks about you because everybody's really busy thinking about themselves. Right. You're like, at the end of the day, you think, oh, my God, I was terrible. And then you'll talk to some guy and you're like, I'm sorry, I was so bad. He goes, what are you talking about? Everyone's so worried about keeping their own jobs in this town that they're really barely paying attention to what you're doing. Is Billy Reback, does he have a mustache? He does. He used to be a comic back then. He did, but way, way back in the okay, day. I remember, I remember seeing him on like Comedy oh Tonight. My God. No, he I, was one of the first guys. Guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Great cat. I haven't seen him in years and years and years and years. But when I was first doing stuff at Acme, he had come to the show and really was so complimentary and such a great spirit and was like hey you could work in this town man and he was so supportive and he kind of fought for me to get that job even though I think the other guys didn't want me and in the end it proved to be not right and not a right fit but I felt really great and I always respected him for you know he's one of those guys who pays it forward and sticks by his friends and I always I always love people in this town who do that now you also have a show in Sirius I do a Sirius XM show one hour a week but yeah it's um, uh, what is that based on it's, uh, it's just me I just me and uh, you know I, I have guests and we talk and it's pretty simple it's pretty simple it's basically me uh, whatever I feel like talking about that week um, you know we'll have some people who promote stuff and Bunin's done it and it's uh, people make a big deal about it and I love doing it but it's one hour a week now, do, you do, do you do it out of your house? I do it right out of my house so how do you set that? I mean how do they we, I punch in I have a little board that f- connects to New York to the serious studios in New York and I, I do like radio I mean you're so good at it I, you know you, you run a great show and I don't think people get enough credit for uh, oh thank you for like Stern you talk for four hours every morning. I know. You know, even, even Jim Rome. You know, Jim Rome. These guys are amazing. It's like uh, in hosting, you go Ryan Seacrest. People give him grief. I'm like, you host American Idol and make it seem so seamless. I I had a friend. It's pretty amazing. I have a friend who does sound for American Idol. Yeah. Boom. And he said, you see Ryan Seacrest, and he goes, the guy is so amazing at what he does. Yeah. It's like he. It's like. He doesn't screw up. Like Not he one nails, flub. Nails. 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 And, and and the funny thing is, the guy works like what. 80 hours a week with yeah. his, and he hosts radio yeah. it is really amazing the thing I think about radio is I think now because like, I mean Howard Stern was so before his time and, and yeah. I, was, I was he changed the mode yeah, I was lucky enough to listen to him I got started listening when I went to college people from North Jersey knew about him but then he came to Philly in like yeah. 1990 so I got to listen and it was really different radio it wasn't that morning hey zoo stuff and he brought you in yeah he made you know it's, it's like uh, it's on TV when you you can either see it or you can, and it's sometimes hard to put your finger on, but you can connect to people. And if you can bring people in, you have to remember to just, you know, you don't see the camera. You're talking right through it, and you're bringing people in. Stern did that. You were When you listened to Stern, you were like, I never even realized that I was not a huge fan of Stern until I started to host stuff, and then I looked at what he was doing, and I was like, gosh, that guy. It's really hard to do what he does. Oh, he's amazing. And that's the thing. Well, I've learned is when I bring my guests in, I mean, I'll go off my tangents, but the bottom line is my guest is my guest. Yeah. And I always brought up that, you know, it, when a guest is in your house, yep. you treat them like a guest. And I think what happens now with radio and podcasts is the same thing that happens in LA comedy. There's just a lot of crap out there. So much crap. And it's like with comedy, you sit there and you do a show right. and you sit there and go, wait a second. And then these are the people that are complaining. And yeah. it's like, I always say, how can you complain when you you know you're complaining that you're not getting a break, you're not funny. But you don't hear that guy who is an all-American basketball player who, because there's only 144 spots or whatever in the NBA, they can't. You know, it's like you can't complain. That guy can complain because right. he. You know, and it's just weird. Now, are you still doing a lot of stand-up? 
I'm starting again. You know, I had the baby, and the baby's like a year old, and so I'm kind of working on a very specific set that's almost more. Uh, it's got a theme to it. So I'm not. I did kind of get bored with. You know, you reach a point. I did a lot of improv. I started to do stand up because I would see improv shows and go, yeah, that's a funny bit. That's a funny bit. Get rid of the rest and keep that. And so I started to do stand up, trying to perfect that. And I still am a dabbler, though. You know, you look at guys like Louis C.K. or Bill Burr, especially Bill Burr's just a machine of oh, jokes. Yeah, he crazy. can take. It's like a meat grinder. He puts the material into his head and it comes out in a burr style, a burr sausage. That's so perfect. And these guys are on, you know, th- you know, three th- three nights a week, three times a night rather. And uh, I just don't want to get up that much, so I'm kind of choosing it a little more specifically about getting on. But yeah, I'm going to start hitting the road again probably here in the next year and try to hit some festivals. And I have a very specific, uh, maybe a one hour show. Are you going to look forward to the road? Because now, I mean, it's like the roads, as I always say, the road's a young man's game. It's a young man's game, and I will not do uh, eight shows a weekend. Those days are over. But I would like to do off nights and do one show and hopefully sell out that and maybe do a second show and do stuff like that a little bit more. And maybe, honestly, do... I, I like theaters more so. Not It doesn't even have to be the giant theaters, but the more uh, a stage where an audience comes in and listens to you and, and you're not like in a club trying to beat some drunk guy who thinks he's funnier than you are you know those days are yeah it's that's hard so we have a few minutes left what else is up in the acting front anything coming up uh, it's so funny every day we talk about I, I'd forgotten the two films I shot until you brought them up where you're like oh that's right I did oh that's right I did work on that film for three weeks of my life you know it's I think what we do is we adapt and like anytime I uh, I do a job I go that's right I'm working and then when I don't work what I did learn is I have friends who cannot let it go and then they're always worried about their next job when I do work I'm working and when I'm not working I'm usually being creative either writing or something but I'm also not not sweating the load that I I don't have a job and you go out to audition a lot? Yeah, I've been auditioned a bunch, and uh, I shot this thing for CMT that we're waiting to hear on. If that's the case, then I'll go back and shoot. Uh, if we get picked up, we would shoot probably 12 episodes back east this fall. And I'm currently shooting the next season of America Facts versus Fiction probably for the next month. It will take us to finish that that those episodes. And um, just doing a bunch of stand-up, and uh, people can always come find me. I do... Uh, uh, I have live shows performing all the place, so come find me on Twitter at Jamie Kaler or uh, Facebook me, Jamie Kaler. I, I love when people like nowadays like, how do I get a hold of you? Uh, yeah, Google you me. Yeah, exactly. Google. I, Googled, I Googled you and I came up and I didn't even go to your website. Yeah. For your back. I went to uh, the IMDb and Wikipedia because for me, yeah. the website's great, but you it's know, nothing. I don't me, even know why I, people I, I have websites But I just, I just went because Wikipedia, I can get the breakdown. Yeah. Right now, it's, you have to figure 80% I'm pretty Facebook's friendly right. too. If you're not a dick who posts, like, I will, I'm, I like to stay friends, keep it social media with people. So, But here's what will happen is I'll post something really personal on my Facebook page because for my family would like to see a picture of my baby or to do right. something. It is my Facebook page. And then some jagoff will like post his right-wing rep- you know, gun-nut thing on my page. And yeah, I'm like, dude, that's I go, you just got defriended. That's so irritating. I would irritating. never post that on somebody's page. Yeah. I just wouldn't do it. So when people go, hey, it's free speech, you go, it's it's, it's like you painted on the front of my yeah. house, man. I, I, I wrote something, and then my one friend put some political thing, and another guy put it. And I both called both of them. And I said, hey. It's none of your business. What's wrong with you guys? I said, I said I'm stating something. It's yeah. not even political. And you're sitting there putting your... I don't want to hear your political view. I and even and say, don't... I go, please don't post on this for fear of being defriended. And then, sure enough, the first post is, oh, I yeah. know you said not to post, but I had to. You didn't have exactly. to. Nobody... Remember the old days when everybody didn't have an opinion? 
Right. Like we don't I, we don't care what you think. It's it's not your page, man. Post it on your own page. Well, it's you know, I'll talk to you I'll get to you some off air. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh it's just one of these things also that cracks me up and it's just yeah, the people and it's and I hate when people sit there and they 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 give their opinion when someone rebuttals, they delete the comments that person said. Well, then don't if you're going to start a debate, yeah. don't delete. I delete all comments when people do stuff, but I don't I don't even respond to them when people I say don't post they post and I go delete and then I delete them as friends and I go hey man I'll even send them a message and go I asked you not to do that I know man but I felt like I had to I had to speak up why we gotta wrap alright I wanna thank you Jamie for coming on thank you for having me uh, check him out go google him Jamie Keller. Google me at awesome. Jamie Keller. People, this Saturday, Saturday night, the uh, at Bob's Espresso, owned by Robert Romanus from uh, Fast Times Regiment High, I will be doing my third Cooper Talk Live. It starts at 7 o'clock this Saturday. I'll be with the uh, amazingly talented Jordan Brady, will be my guest. He's been on Cooper Talk a few times. We'll be talking about I Am Comic, I Am Road Comic. And if there's any comics that are listening, Come out and watch this because you'll learn a lot about the business. Jordan's biz, his career has been crazy, all the stuff he's done. So come out. That's a Saturday, 7 o'clock. It's free, 5251 Lancashire Boulevard, Bob's Espresso. Also go to my website, coopertalk.net. I have about 270 episodes up. Go to Android phone or tablet, type in the Play Store, type in the Google Play, type in Cooper Talk, and you'll get my app. And also uh, hit me up at Twitter, at Cooper Talk, and send me an email. Cooper, Indy100INDIE100.com. And don't forget, I'm Steve Cooper. I'm only as hip as my guest. You guys have a wonderful weekend. Drink your water, eat your vegetables, take your vitamins. Have a good one.